If you're going to live here, get in with the rhythms of the Ozarks. You know, don't try to change it. Don't try to make it something it was never intended to be, but appreciate what we have. The people that live here and make their livelihoods from the woods and waters care about this and, and respect that and respect those things and, and let's keep it good because, you know, I don't want to tell my granddaughter, we used to catch smallmouth out of this hole of water. This used to be, you know, I wish you could have experienced this when, you know, I want that same quality to be there and it can only be there if we take care of it. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inland. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle V. If you want to watch exclusive full-length video episodes with each of our guests, receive a free Ozark-inspired sticker every single month, and get a shout-out on a future episode, then sign up for the White River Club on our Patreon. The link is in the show notes, and your support goes a long way. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe. Now, here's the episode. What's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Ozark Podcast. You've got Kyle Veet on the mic as always, and I am joined today by my co-host of the show and good buddy, Kyle Plunkett. How are you, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We uh, we got up early this morning and drove from Bentonville to come do a little bit, bit of fishing and hang out with Mr. Dwayne Hayda here. Yeah, yeah. So we're looking forward to the morning. Yeah, so with, without further ado, that brings us to our guests. Um, we have the privilege of being with fly fishing legend and owner of Rivertown Gallery, Mr. Dwayne Hayda. Well, great to be here, guys. I know it's an early morning start for you, but uh, thank you. Yeah, we we got on the road about uh, 7 this morning and two and a half hour drive, not too far. Pretty enough. It's spring, dogwoods are blooming. You you did for turkey hunting or anything else. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So we're happy to be here. Your gallery, um, for anyone who's just listening to the podcast, you won't be able to see it, but if you go to our Patreon, you can actually see the video of the gallery around here. And we were just walking through. You gave us a tour. Absolutely stunning. Some of the, mm-hmm. the piece of work you've done. Thank you. Um, especially the uh, the fish painting. What do you call it? The Japanese? It's, it's, called, it's an art form called Jitako. Jitako, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. It's fish printing, basically. Okay, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Just blown away by by the, the, craft, the craftsmanship that you have here. And um, just really cool. So... Uh, definitely make sure you, you watch the video um, on our Patreon. Uh, it's it's worth the uh, worth the watch. Um, but with that kind of out of the way, I was I was thinking about the intro to how to introduce you to our audience, and um, there's really not one word to kind of sum you up. There's there's a lot of different things um, that you you've done in your career, and a lot of different things. And there's not one word to really describe you. You're kind of a guy who wears a lot of hats. And so I was going through, and I just started writing some of them down. You're a landscape and wildlife artist. You're passionate outdoorsman, fly fisherman, um, guide, educator, mentor, book illustrator, philanthropist. I mean, there's a lot that you've, you've done. You've got to do a lot of things here in the Ozarks. You've got to make a living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've got to stay, stay diversified anyway. But, Absolutely. Uh, How do you keep up with it all? I mean, what's, what's driven you to, to do all those things and be so busy? It's a lot of passion. Everything, uh, everything I do in life uh, is driven by passion, I think. So if I don't... Uh, if I don't love it, I don't do it. But these are, but um, you know, I've been blessed to uh, have uh, artistic talent anyway, and it's something I've I've worked hard at, at developing. 
and trying to make a livelihood out of it, and it, it has worked well for me. I've been very blessed in that uh, way, but um, it just keeps opening into new ventures, and I I have to edit some of them out. You can't do everything. I right. I like to do rod building, but I who has the time for that? Yeah, it's you know? so, like one more thing. Yeah, you can exactly. only, You got to cut the line somewhere. Right. But uh, what I'm doing is is definitely um, uh, driven by passion, you know. And and I'm I'm a firm believer is you do. Uh, as far as from painting standpoint, you paint best what you know best. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can look around my gallery and you're, you're going to see the things that drive me. You know, it's, it's paintings of the Ozarks, it's things of the fish, the fauna, uh, the outdoor experience anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's you know, you're not going to see a lot of vases of wildflowers sitting around. Right. Uh, <laughs> but not, not against painting that. And if I do, it's going to have some... Uh, you know, some Ozark dogwood in there or, yeah. or something, you some know, like that. Exactly. So yeah. there's beauty all out there in this wonderful landscape I've been blessed to grow up and live in, and uh, that's what I paint. I yeah. paint, paint what I know, paint what I see, paint what, you know, is is my life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that brings me to um, exactly where I wanted to go next, which is just talk to me about um, a little bit about, like, your background, where you sure. grew up, how you grew up, uh, maybe even a little bit about, like, obviously as an artist, I think – you know, you don't just get that. I mean, you you have that talent, but um, is it like where your parents you artists? You have to develop. Or? There are actually quite a few artists on both my dad and my mom's side of the family. So uh, I think there is a somewhat of a genetic um, trait there, somewhat. But but people always say, "Oh, you were born with talent," and I I kind of grimace a little bit. I I look at my drawings. My mom still has a drawer full of <laughs> five and six-year-old, and they're, they're not bad for, you know, the average five and six-year-old. Yeah. So uh, I think I've been more of an observant person, and and I can remember back at the early age just a desire to try to copy something down and make it look like it. So there's a lot of trial and error, and um, but encouragement and being around other people that um, fostered that, uh, I think lit that flame and kind of, mm-hmm. but, but I didn't, um, you know, the, the small rural schools I went to, you know, I'm one of the, you know, you're here in Mountain Home, Arkansas. There are very few native people. I'm not a native of Mountain Home. I was over here in San Sang Hollow, which is uh, about another 30 miles as the crow flies through over towards Bergman in that area okay. over on Crooked Creek Okay, uh, is where I grew up anyway. But the small rural schools, I went to Bergman, um, small school at that time, and there wasn't any art that was offered. So I was that kid that would always turn his test over at the end and try to draw a picture on it to impress the teacher to improve my grade and that yeah. kind of thing. But, <laughs> but there was a lot of frustration with my art that I, um, I just didn't have the training. So there's a lot of um, unfinished pieces because I'd get frustrated and I just didn't, you know, it wasn't until I went to college that I actually took an, a, a basic drawing class okay. and it all came together for me. I was like, it made sense. And mm-hmm. uh and I knew quickly it was just putting gas to the fire for me, and and that's where I, I think I really made my big leap as far as um, understanding that this was one of the things in life that I could do and wanted to do and pursue. But, but anyway, I grew up. Um, you know, I, you're kind of alluding to my past. I, yeah. I am blessed. Uh, you know, we're not native. Uh, one of the families of Boone and Newton County, but that's where my dad settled. He came to this area as a um, uh, a church planner, okay? He okay. was a rural minister. Mm. And uh, he said when he graduated from preaching school, they call it back then, they, <laughs> the, they handed him his diploma and said, Africa or the Ozarks, which way are you headed? And he said, well, I, I didn't know. He said, I knew where Africa was, I didn't know where the Ozarks were. He was a Western Oklahoma boy anyway. Oh, okay. So gotcha. he said, I'll give that a try. And and that made all the difference. And, and what a wonderful way to grow up, a very rural area. Uh, I'm one of the few people, I, I guess I just turned 60 years old this year, but... 
Um, growing up where I did, we had a spring as our water source. You know, there's very few people, people my age. Now, the generation before me, that was a common thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was a very humble and, and but I wouldn't trade it for anything. I used to be kind of ashamed of it when I was younger, but now I'm like very proud of it. It, it yeah. made me who I am, who I am today anyway. And the um, uh, just growing up with a lot of outdoor opportunities, you know, Crooked Creek, I literally could ride my bike. It was a long ride, but that didn't bother me back then. Yeah. Kids, kids did that, you know. People, Nothing else to do, maybe. Exactly. So I'd spend all day down on, on Crooked Creek, you know, chasing uh, the smallmouth bass and the sunfish and all different things and just roaming the, you know, the hills and hollows and the woods and uh, just a wild child, you know. And, yeah. and so that, that I, I really, um, that's something we're kind of losing and, and, and we'll probably talk later on this. Uh, you know, the outdoors is, is a great place to grow up as a kid. And sure. it, it, it teaches you all the mm-hmm. life skills that you'll need. Um, it, it's all out there. It's a beautiful thing. So the Ozarks have been my, I've, I've traveled everywhere and, and, and been blessed to have done that through the gift of fly fishing and, and travel and all that. But the Ozarks are home and, and near and dear to me, and it's an amazing, uh, beautiful part of the, the world, and, and uh, I'm very blessed to have grown up in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But, I think I think about my childhood, and I was fortunate enough to, to grow up in the Ozarks as well, yeah. and mm-hmm. just just the lessons you learn from being out in the woods, and, and I think about when I was like five to about 10 years old, basically, just the amount of discovery that you get oh, yeah. as you're going through the woods and you're playing in the creeks and you flip over a rock and there's a crawdad and then you see that swim off and then a fish eats it. It's oh, just yeah. like yep. you see the whole ecosystem you bet. at work. And um, I wonder for you, is there a moment or an age of your childhood that you remember that like, man, this all kind of clicked or like there's this a, is when I fell in love with those arts? There's a videotape in my brain of uh, we got, my brother and I got invited to go uh, celebrate a birthday party with one of our classmates, and they lived right on the creek okay. on a good hole of water. And he wanted to take us fishing to help celebrate his birthday. So, uh, Virtual Ward was the big television um, bass fisherman back then. He's looking at me like, "Who in the heck?" Yeah, is Ward? But, but but for guys my age, uh, he was the pre-runner of uh, fishing here in the Ozarks. Uh, um, and he came out with the Bass Buster Beetle Spin. Okay. okay, and uh, so my brother name. and I both had <laughs> had name. enough uh, pop bottle money to go um, to the local. We didn't have Walmart yet back then. We had Otasco okay. and Western Auto, and we bought. Uh, I remember getting a a yellow Bass Buster Beetle Spin, and my brother bought up the lime green model, and we both on our Zebco two hundred twos caught probably eight or ten inch long smallmouth and. Uh, I can remember this day, the video just burns in my brain of that bass coming out from under a rock in that clear water and chasing it down and grabbing it, and and I was hooked, you know. And, yeah. and that was not, I mean, I, I catch fish. Uh, my parents tell me from, you know, I was catching them by hand or stick and string or whatever. So fishing's been definitely in my DNA from, but that's the first burned-in video that has created the passion for those and the love affair for those fish and the the Ozark spring streams and that we have. So yeah. it, and it's never uh, people say, you know, you've got one day left to fish, what are you going to choose? It's going to be an Ozark uh, mm. stream for me stream. anyway, definitely, yeah. definitely. Mm. You're not chasing the trout. Oh, uh, uh, you know, I love the trout and and I'd never get tired of them. It's a different game altogether, but uh, if if they took away the trout tomorrow and left me the smallmouth, I wouldn't cry too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, that's your, my uh, passion. Your yeah. childhood speaking to something that yeah. I know that I experienced and Kyle has experienced and as part of the reason we got excited, we so we grew up 
going to high school together, but then got really close in college, yeah. learned how to fish together, bow hunt together, all that kind of stuff. Right. And it was just the, the magic of the woods and the outdoors sure. and all, like just getting away from all of modern life and getting to yep. be in nature is what's fueling a lot of even just a, the early idea of what would it look like to connect with other men and women who have the same passion. Sure. And it's, I love hearing you speak on early childhood because that's something that yeah. we're hoping to even inspire for our generation as we're having kids and the next generation sure. of, you know, this is important. It's actually I've got so much value. I've got some beautiful grandbabies. Uh, I've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, mm-hmm. and a newborn. And uh, the two older ones are girls. And uh, But they just, just, my wife and I just took them for a little two-hour little perch jerking mm-hmm. trip uh, last uh, weekend. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness, you know, the fun. And uh, yeah. one of the little girls was swinging. I uh, They do fly fish some. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a mistake to try to force your kid to, learn you know just a stick and string come on you know teach them the bite teach them how to entice a fish so i rigged them up a long pole just about six feet of string on it and a little hook and a bobber and you know and the little two-year-old was waving it back and forth so much <laughs> because she had seen daddy fly cast she uh-huh. had those and somehow in the process we see this little four-inch bluegill just going back and forth through the air <laughs> she didn't realize at the moment she it hit the water it something actually grabbed it and she was just beating the water back and forth trying to make a cut Got that <laughs> trout that trout hook we, set yeah we had, to, we had to stop her like you actually caught one yeah. you know, on your you got own it. you did it <laughs> yeah well, that's sweet flying fish but yeah kids are uh, you know and and if there's any um, kind of in my voice of, uh, you know, we've got to take care of this landscape. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, I, I, I want my grandchildren to enjoy uh, what I enjoyed. And, and mm-hmm. I know it's different and I know it's shrinking, but it's still out there. Mm-hmm. We just have to be better stewards of it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah my, my grandgirls are tough little hillbillies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they go barefoot in the creek and yeah. they catch crawdads. And, that's a good way you to know, grow up. They know the, the bad snakes from the good snakes. And, they, you know, and that's, it's just part of uh, the outdoor um, experience and, and woodsmanship. You know, yeah. we, we don't teach woodsmanship uh, to kids much anymore. We take them hunting. We say, sit down, be quiet, be still. Yeah. Oh, wake up, put your Game Boy away. Here's a deer, shoot it. <laughs> and that's it. You know, and I, we have to be careful, you know, mm-hmm. that, that there's... There's so much to learn out there, and that, that they need to expose themselves to, and and all that. So yeah. anyway, so talk to me about before we move yeah. on that topic, cross trail outfitters. Oh gosh, yeah. I know you're the state director for cross trail outfitters. That it sounds that's a, a lot whole like, show right there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> cross trail outfitters. Uh, you know, it's been seven years ago now. I I just I remember, uh, just in my spirit, just this uh, uneasiness of of seeing boys. Uh, mainly in my church, but also my wife teaches school, and she would come home and tell me stories of, she said, man, if there's any way you could get involved in this young man's life, he has no one, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would pick him up, take him fishing, you know, and just see the turnaround in his uh, behavior, his attention in school, but just his whole purpose in life. And um, we're a faith-based organization, and I just feel like, you know, the, the sooner that kid can get himself settled on who he is in life and, and start working his plan, you know, that he's intended to be, things go so much better for him. And, but mm-hmm. they got to have somebody in their life. You know, who taught you to hunt and fish? Obviously, right. it was somebody older, I imagine. Uh, you don't learn it on your own. So mentoring is so important, and it's so necessary today with the way the family is. I mean, I think it's one in four boys come from a broken home of some sort. Either mm-hmm. grandparents were raising them or it's a single mother situation or whatever. So cross trail outfitters we it's, and it's not just for that you know people think well how's a kid qualify for that it's just eat and breathe okay because yeah. <laughs> we we love the mixture you know we've got kids from every walk of life but um 
a, a large number of our boys in the program um, don't have anybody to take them. Mm-hmm. So that's where the mentoring comes in, and it's been uh, – I can't give it up. It, uh, it's growing, and, and it's amazing. I'd love to see chapters develop all throughout the state. But basically we do summer camps. I do a, a specific fly fishing camp because I, I love fly fishing and bow hunting because those are very skill-building uh, uh, sports. So yeah. the, and they're passions of mine, so obviously I'm going to teach them. But, you know, there's only so much you can do to sit there and, and tell a kid to watch that red and white bobber until it goes under, okay? But in fly fishing, um, you know, you, you bet. You're more of a participant. You, you've got to think a little bit about the etymology. You've got to understand the skill of casting and developing it, and it never gets old. You could, As soon as you think you're good, there's another species or another... Mm-hmm. Uh, level that you can go to. I mean, I remember meeting Lee Wolf back in the day, and and he was fishing hard. And then my my mentor Dave Whitlock, you know, and I, I know everybody name throws out there, but he is a very special man in my life. Yeah, and he's just turned 86, 87 years old, I guess this year, and he still fishes actively. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of of, uh, of fly fishing. You know, it never gets old. It'll carry you through life. You know, it, and it's mm. one of the few sports you can actually engage in from. He says from age nine to ninety nine, and I would say it's pretty true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, that's yeah. Crossfield Outfitters is amazing. It's a uh, it's a it's an amazing organization. We rely totally on we're a not for profit five hundred one c three and everything. But we've got some amazing people and companies out there that help us. We do uh, quality. I mean, people open up their ranches in Texas and Oklahoma and here in Arkansas. We get to go on some amazing duck hunts. We get to go on. Uh, we're, we get a little spoiled, uh, but but yeah. it's good. Uh, and, That's awesome. Yeah, and, uh, I wish I had known about this yeah, when, when I was growing up. Yeah, where was this when I was growing up? Maybe I turned out that way decently. Yeah. <laughs> do you, uh, it, do you all have a Northwest Arkansas chapter? We were trying hard. I've got, I've talked to people in Springdale, and they're, it, it takes time, I'll be sure. honest with you. It, it's, it's a calling. Sure. You know, if you're going to stay with it, and we want to make sure that you're fully funded to be able to do it, it costs, you know, I was talking to one of my root partners the other day, and he's just asking, you know, what are your needs? And mm-hmm. I and, they, and I said, well, real dollars. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we got companies that'll send us every box of fly time material and rods and and bullets and stuff like that. And that's awesome, but yeah. but mm-hmm. just the gas money and the feeding these boys and right. and you know and and not everything's given to us. A lot of times we'll have to rent cabins. You know, if we go somewhere, I do a big New Year's uh, cast and blast every year. We do a quail, pheasant, and chucker hunt, and then a fly fishing. A day we do it over on the Spring River, and then we go up okay. in Missouri to do that, and they love it. And it's our New Year's uh, celebration, mm-hmm. but it's expensive. But yeah. I had a had a gentleman uh, up in Northwest Arkansas, um, uh, John. Oh, I don't know if you want me to mention the name, he probably, but anyway, wonderful guy, and uh, he underwrote the entire uh, weekend for us. Did he? Isn't really? that amazing? That I mean, is amazing. That's people will step up and do stuff like that. It blows me away. Yeah, and it really lets me know how important it is but also that caring people out there uh want to see boys and girls and we're not just for you know we we've got to have women though to step up to teach the women right that's how we do so no, that that is good. so cool we'll have yeah. to we'll have to connect off mic a little bit yeah. i'm a, I'm a yeah. youth pastor awesome um, by, there you go prof- you get it what do you call it by trade yeah. oh yeah there you go. <laughs> so, okay so um, we, yeah, we so um, and i love trying to intertwine I just, outdoors i just stopped at a, at a that's methodist cool. church in um Hinesville, Arkansas, mm-hmm. on the way back, they were having a crawfish boil to raise money for their youth mission trips. And my wife and I said, we love crawfish. And we had, and I left them some brochures. And I, <laughs> I said, you guys need to, 
And so I expect them to call me at some point. So. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's, that's cool. But that's a whole show in itself. Man, yeah, I mean, surely we could spend so much got, time on that. We've got chapters all throughout from North Carolina to Wisconsin down to Texas. Okay, so it's um, not just the state of Arkansas. No, it's no, all no. Over. In okay. fact, we're fairly new. I, I've, I've just got it started here seven years ago, and I've got three chapters now. Gotcha. And um, well, I'd love to see one in every section of the state, mm-hmm. you know, from yeah. the Delta to the Washita's. River Valley, you bet. It's, did, it's did you already important. say where the three are? Did you already say uh, one in Arkadelphia, and we have a second one here because we've grown so much. You know, you can only provide quality stuff to a certain amount, and you really need to have a, another chapter going. And so we have the White River chapter and the Buffalo River chapter here, okay. and we have the Washita River chapter down in Arkadelphia. Okay, a gotcha. really a great guy. It used to be a game warden. Um, he's just uh, um, Braden Gardner is his name. Brady Gardner, and okay. he's a, an amazing hunter and outdoorsman and brings all that knowledge with his passion for youth and mm. that's what it takes man that but it's is, a calling it's sure. you know it yeah i won't lie to you it does take some time but mm-hmm. it's it's um it's worth it yeah that's awesome definitely. that is so cool yeah i i'm sure we could talk about that for yeah. an entire episode sure um, we'll, we'll have to come back <laughs> we will yeah we're gonna we're not gonna cover everything we want to talk about yeah, today sure. but <laughs> understand um but i do want to so let's let's get into the rivertown gallery obviously this you is bet. This is your business. The, the, you know, you, you mentioned you do a lot of different things, but yeah. Um, how did you get started with Rivertown Gallery? You mentioned sure. you went to school, you studied I, I fine arts. I do have arts. a degree in art education from the University of Central Arkansas. Okay. And upon graduation, I saw a job opening. I had, I had three positions available to me. One is to be the art instructor at the Catholic Girls School <laughs> at Little Rock. And I went for the interview, and I'm like, Okay, you know, uh, <laughs> we'll look. I mean, nothing against that. It yes. was just, <laughs> just like, and the other one was to be the art instructor at the women's prison. And I'm like, okay. Also an interesting role. <laughs> interesting role. I can just see myself being duct, duct taped up in the corner. The, <laughs> no, it, it would have been a great, uh, yeah. <laughs> if I have to edit all this. <laughs> but anyway, the, the other was um, a job for a full-time art instructor at uh, Mina Public Schools. Okay. And I thought, where in the heck is Mina? So mm-hmm. my wife and I drove over there, and I mean, that is a beautiful... Uh, and it fit just perfect with me. It's not the Ozarks, it's the Washita's, but uh, uh, that whole Polk County area there with the Cossatot River and the Mountain Fork and and just good people that are very tied to the environment and the mm-hmm. land, and I thought, I can live here. So they, they hired me really immediately, and um, I started a great program there. Stayed there about five years and loved it and really built a great art program for them. And, and I have uh, young men back then, you talk about being mentors, I'd set up a fly-tying station in my classroom and during lunch breaks boys would come in and i would teach them to tie flies and, oh. and they didn't want to leave they'd always be late to their <laughs> next you know or, or they'd try to fake it and get a pass like we're, we're working on an art project and, yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. and then i'd take them fishing later and stuff like that you know so that that mentoring thing has gone on for a long time mm-hmm. in my life and and i've still got wonderful relationships with former students down there that you know that that barrier leaning up against was all because one of my former mm-hmm. students had a great place down there and put me on that and and uh, go down and and uh, fly fish uh, on the Washita River and the Costot River with the uh, guys down there that are former students and mm. so that's, that's a great uh, great thing to keep going but but anyway so I taught school but but I always had I was teaching fly fishing for Rich Mountain Community College and then there's a store called the Woodsman in Fort Smith okay and they just opened up and they were an Orvis fly fishing store. And they came down and, and went to a fly fishing school that I was teaching at Rich Mountain College. And we got to know each other. And they said, you know, um, we've been looking for somebody to kind of do this through our store. And I thought, 
Okay, that's back then fly fish guiding. I think uh, there was maybe three in the whole state that I, you know, and there weren't any fly shops. Uh, Blue Ribbon had not opened up yet. Yeah. Up here with um, uh, Dale Fulton and his vision for the White River and all that. Uh, Dave Whitlock was still up at L.L. Bean in Maine, so there wasn't a whole lot mm. going on here. A little mm. bit in Little Rock, the old uh, um, Biomito store okay. uh, down in the Heights, okay? Okay. It was a pretty ritzy Orvis place, but uh, the hedges, uh, um, uh, um, Harold, uh, his son, John Hedges, was was uh, the fly fishing brother. So, I, you know, and I, I just more and more I thought about it, I'm like, I love to teach. You know, yeah. I've got a great job here. And I'm not promised anything with this, but it sounds so good, I can't not do it. Yeah. So I took a jump. My wife, you know, having a, a, she's like, I'll follow you anywhere you want to go, babe. You know, just, I want the Lord to lead you, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> make sure make sure that it's right, you know, yeah. because you, you do have responsibilities and, right. and all. But um, she's been so amazing. Uh, and she's a very active outdoors lady uh, okay. also. But uh, so I went to Fort Smith, and, um, and uh, we also... Um, they opened a second shop in uh, Heber Springs, and, and I ran a guide service there. And um, that's when I met Rip Collins, you know, and the World yeah. Record Brown came out of all that experience and everything there. But uh, the Little Red was at that time prone to some horrible flooding. That's when Clinton flooded huge, and we got uh, like two big um, years of just extreme water and and uh, mud coming through and all that. Yeah. And um, we about starved to death because I knew the eight fly fishermen in the state of Arkansas that, that bought rods from me, you know, and <laughs> it, it, was, it was pretty much in its infancy in a lot of ways back then. And so, that, what, do you remember what year that was? Just uh, that would have been 1994 probably. Okay, okay. Uh, and Rip Collins caught the big brown in 92, yeah. you said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, um, it had to be before that. So probably about 1990 I could... Yeah, okay. about, about 1990. Because gotcha. I, I, I graduated from UCA in 1985, and I taught at uh, MENA um, till like 89. And so it had probably been 1990. Yeah. yeah, okay. But then, um, so the woodsman said, well, come back into Fort Smith, and let's we're going to build a bigger store, and um, you can work out of the store here as a fly fishing pro, and then you can still guide and all. And so they hired me and my wife both anyway, um, and then I would, uh, I do a lot of stuff on Lee Creek there. I do a lot of stuff over on the Illinois river in Oklahoma, but I'd still travel over here to the white river quite a bit and still did a lot of fly fishing schools and clinics, did a lot of, um, smallmouth schools with Dave Whitlock back in the day. Uh, he and I would travel around and so it was, it was great. Um, really enjoyed it and all, but then it came a time to kind of move on from that. Mm-hmm. And, and so my art had always at that point been, something I kind of did for clients, like I'd guide somebody and they'd catch a nice fish or they they knew I did some art, so I'd paint a commission piece of a fish they caught, like a watercolor painting, okay. or I'd uh, do a scene of them fly fishing on a particular shoal or something like that, and that just kind of grew. I started doing a lot of travel trips, a lot of saltwater trips, uh, bone fishing trips to some amazing... I was a, um, a travel agent for the Frontiers uh, group, and so I, I went to Christmas Island way back in the day when it was just opening up. Uh, what Heard an amazing some experience. Amazing yeah, things about yeah, that I mean, island. Basically, you leave Los Angeles, you fly to Hawaii, you spend the night, and then you head towards Australia and you take a left down there on a little horseshoe island in the middle of nowhere. What? Uh, the Republic of Carabas, anyway. Mm-hmm. And very native people, very primitive, uh, but amazing fishing. And so I did that a couple of years. And in the Bahamas and the Belize and the in the Yucatan, we used to do the Yucatan a lot back in the day, and, and literally stay on the beach in grass huts um, back before a lot of the lodges were built. And um, 
amazing uh, bonefish and tarpon and permit and all that stuff. And so anyway, I got to do a lot of the, a lot of that travel, fly fishing and everything, mm-hmm. and, and did that and kind of funneled that business through the woodsman and all okay. that. But, but anyway, the, um, but anyway, I wanted to go on and do my art. But uh, so I started putting stuff in galleries. I started entering uh, shows. I won the first year. I entered the Mid Southern Watercolor Competition, which is a nine state Southern. Um, very prestigious show. I took best of show in that, and I'm like, kind of woke me up. Like, okay, oh, well, maybe I pretty good. <laughs> my, my, you know, my peers think I'm okay at this, and yeah. and it's just little by little. But but nobody comes to your house and knocks on the door when you live way out in the country and say, I heard you are an artist. Do you have a bunch of paintings sure. under the bed and in the closet so you can drag out and let us look at them? So <laughs> right. you got to be out in the public eye. And um, and so I thought, well, I'll open my own gallery. Most artists don't have their own gallery, but. Okay. Um, I was in other galleries, but they take huge commissions and you're competing with a lot of other known artists and everything. And, and so, um, I started that and, uh, that's been, we were, we were down in downtown Cotter back in the day where, um, the, the fly shop, the natural state fly shop is now, that was my corner right there. Yeah. So all the traffic used to have to come right by my door. Plus we had a tourist train that stopped there. So everybody had to get off the tourist train and walk up to the restaurant there and everything. So it was I was doing good. Yeah. But then they bypassed Cotter and they put the new bridge in and, and Cotter just kind of became an afterthought and lost out, you know, on, on a lot of that economic, um, you know, and businesses weren't mm-hmm. coming in or anything. It is, yeah. it's, it's great now, you know. There have been wonderful people with some money and some futuristic mind to come in there and help it out. But um, so I was in Mountain Home and then I found this place here and this has been a good location. It's right on the... Uh, the traffic's good and the the business has been good. I've been very blessed. Uh, you know, when this COVID thing hit, I thought, oh my gosh, I am. You know, hmm. your people going to buy bread, milk, toilet paper, what, yeah, you know, all the those essentials. things. You know, who who is going to buy art? It's been the best two years. I not by really? a little bit, but by a huge wow. amount. And I can't really explain it other than I talked to the manager at Lowe's and he said the same thing. He said it's been our two best years. Really. And here's what it is it, that I can figure. Everybody here has a second home on the lake or river. Mm-hmm. And they're from Memphis, they're from Little Rock, they're from Kansas City, they're from everywhere. Right. They all hold up here during COVID. And they're oh. like, hey, we're going to remodel or we're going to change everything. And yeah, so then they're they, stuck inside. You bet, we had nothing to do, so here they come. And I mean, I would literally have customers come out with armloads to just totally redecorate. And wow, uh, it's it's um, I I'm blessed. I, I I can't explain it. Don't want to even try. I just <laughs> like keep it going, you know. But That's um, awesome. I uh, it, I can't afford a second home yeah. yet. But I the whole time we were walking around in the studio, I was thinking I, I want this in this room in the future. Yeah. I know where this is going to get yeah. just beautiful. But I artwork. well, thank you, thank you. But I again, it, it, it's it's passion, you know. I mm-hmm. um, the the scenes you see are places I've been, pe- things I've witnessed. Uh, uh, or clients that I've engaged into that um, place, you know, this watercolor right over here. That old—that's on Crooked Creek, a place where I turkey hunt, okay. and um, and it's just a view that I have from one of the the fields where I am, and, mm. and there's the old homestead back there, sitting in a little clearing with an old rock fence, and it just kind of takes me back to that connection of the Ozarks a hundred years ago, and and uh, the beauty and the simplicity of it. So, yeah. anyway, that's. Uh, but um, have you ever painted that that moment um, that you were talking about, where that you were throwing the what the beetle spin bottle <laughs> bug or whatever? I've done. A, you know, I I quickly um, advanced in the I say advanced. Fly fishing's always intrigued me. Where you know where did that come at? Um, I can definitely remember, and I've had this conversation with Dave Whitlock. I was sitting in the Bergman Library 
and thumbing through Field of Dream magazines and seeing these pictures of these guys in the Rocky Mountains of Montana and Colorado and such. And I thought, that looks so cool. And mm-hmm. then the flies that they made. And, and I think just being an artist, um, that really connected with me. So um, I had an uncle who was a school teacher in Michigan, so he had the summers off. And he would come down and stay with us in the Ozarks, and he was in love with the Buffalo River way back before it was a park. So I would more or less guide him, mm-hmm. paddle the canoe, and or he with me. And and one year he brought this big, long fiberglass thing about the big around as a pool cue and a box of popping bugs and everything. And I thought, wow, how neat. What is that? Well, when he left, he gave me his old Boy Scout uh, fly tying kit. Okay. And um, But the vice was not working at all. So yeah. my first vice was a clothespin with three or four rubber bands wrapped with a 16-penny nail through the hole in a, no in a, in a two-by-six block. Anyway, <laughs> but, it, but it held the hook. Anyway, it works. There's a will, there's a way. Yeah, you know? get the job done. And then, awesome. then my dad later welded up a pair of vice grips onto a little metal thing, and that, that worked pretty good because I, I didn't know where you – there weren't any fly shops, you know, and yeah. it wasn't until college that I had an actual vice, you know, and I was like, wow, I saved up money to, to go get a Thompson AA model, you know. <laughs> but um, so my, my parents bought me a fly rod. and So where do you buy a fly rod in Arkansas? In, in ni- you know, I was born in 1962, so uh, my ninth birthday, about 1970 or something like that. Uh, well, that's when the very second Walmart – in the country opened up in Harrison, Arkansas. A lot of people don't know that's number two Walmart yeah, yeah. ever. Okay. Yeah. And they had this long, shiny metallic blue thing they called a fly rod anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and like I say, you could pole vault with it, but, um, so they <laughs> bought me that and, uh, and I got a little reel with it and a level line back then. Okay. You know, I didn't have any weight forward lines, at least oh, around here. So you mean like, it's not tapered or no, anything. No, it's just straight. So, so you can imagine the casting loops I can throw with that. You <laughs> yeah. know, I had a young 10 year old, nine year old boy anyway, out there in the lawn, but I whipped that thing and, and no instruction, you know, but yeah, uh, I was just bound determined. Uh, and so that was, became my, and I still fished other ways, you know, cause I had an older brother I had to compete with, you know, so yeah. I couldn't stand yeah. if he caught something bigger than me. So yeah. I'd, you know, I'd flip a rock and get a Helgermeyer or catch a crawdad or whatever. But that's, and that's why it's so important, I think, to have that history that makes you a better fisherman. Mm-hmm. And then you can choose your method as you gain your head knowledge. There's so many people jump into fly fishing immediately in this day and age that don't have the the background knowledge, you right. know. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going off on something else there. But anyway, it's, <laughs> there's there's a whole uh, entomology and, and, and knowledge of a fish and all that you need to gain just by putting in the hours and the time and living on the stream and yeah. and, uh, and and all that. So, But um, my fly fishing has stayed with me. It's, it's it, You know, I've fished every method you can imagine probably from seining and gigging and whatever, but... <laughs> saying all that, my hillbilly roots coming out. Anyway, but, um, <laughs> I was about to say, I don't know what saining is. <laughs> oh, a big long net anyway, and you drag it. Oh. We used to do that a lot, you okay. know, but basically to catch bait. But mm-hmm. uh, that was a big thing, you know, get a bunch of people and drag a seine across the stream. And gotcha. It was always like you never knew what was going to be on the other yeah. end of it, a big gar or a snapping turtle or <laughs> cottonmouth, whatever, you know, it, it, whatever's in the whole hole. Right. Yeah, you pull it up. But, but w- again, what an educational thing to go through and look at all the different varieties of minnows and darters. See what's and, in there, Oh, my yeah. gosh, yeah. And I still I do seining with the boys, just, you know, catch and release anyway, as an educational thing, you know, to show them all of the – plethora of things that live within a stream and uh, the food sources and all that so that actually reminds me we had uh, at our school when we were in eighth grade oh, yeah. we had a retreat when we went insane the river yeah at, uh it was like camp war eagle or um okay. new life ranch over there oh, gosh. and we were Isn't learning about Avanaugh creek 
Was it? Yeah, that's the Spavin. Is that the Spavin? Well, okay. Blue Life Ranch is actually Flint Creek. Oh, Flint Creek. Flint Creek. I, okay. And I know this because right. that's where I met my wife. Oh, really? Blue no Life Ranch. It all comes, yeah. Oh, uh, that's I amazing. I the canoe up and she was standing on the bank and she wanted to get in the canoe with me and that, it's all been. <laughs> the rest <laughs> is history. <laughs> that's, that's an awesome that story. Getting the canoe with me. <laughs> but yeah, we were over there and we were, we were signing and we were seeing what was yeah. in there and we yeah. were then at the end of the day we did a test and like did you see a crawdad what did you oh, see this awesome. kind of algae yeah. and then you understood the health of the creek and is it okay is what else yeah. did you see and you kind yeah. of do some observations and doing that you learned the, so a lot much. of the schools are doing that through the game and fish commission this it's called the stream team and uh, the water education program okay. and um, uh, hopefully they're still funding that because that was an amazing eye-opener to kids mm-hmm. you know as to the health of their local waters, you know, and why it's important to keep them that way. So yeah, it's a absolutely. great, great program. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, on, so you were talking, we're getting into where <laughs> kind of Rivertown gallery and fly yeah. fishing okay, kind of yeah. meet. Um, well, my, my passions again, have always been, you know, um, some people say, am I a fly fisher who paints or a painter who fly fishes? Right, and, and, right. and I don't think you can separate the two with me. Most of my subject matter revolves around, uh, obviously that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, the more and more I grew in fly fishing, you know, it, it just opened so many doors for me, which also allowed for my art to develop. And uh, in 1987, I got a chance to paint. They were I was asked to paint the state trout stamp, and I've got the original of it back in the office there anyway. Yeah, we'll but have to um, see that. yeah, and uh, so that was another feather in the cap. It kind of just um, won a few other awards um, along the way. Uh, just just different things. My clientele. I've had some. Pretty, um, I remember when they filmed Tuskegee Airmen here in Arkansas, the cast and crew and all, I took them on a guided fly fishing trip. And mm. um, they bought quite a few pieces of art too. And and I've had other, um, some different celebrity people, uh, you know, um, there's some pretty well-known uh, folks out there, if I named them anyway, that, that yeah. have bought and collected a lot of my art. Uh, um, one of the big restaurant uh, chain owners has a huge log home in the Smoky Mountains, anyway, one of his many homes. But uh, he commissioned me to do about 10 paintings for that house of his, you know. and Just cover so the walls with you your bet. stuff. Yeah, and, and so there, I've got a certain following out there, you know, but it, um, um, I, 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 I can't not paint, okay? It builds in me, and, and, um, and, and uh, my best paintings come from moments and interest. Uh, the worst thing is for somebody just to call me up and say, hey, I want you to paint me something. Mm-hmm. I, I can do that, but that's work. Yeah. For me, the passion and and the uh, something that comes out in it is from the experience or the way the light caught that particular pool of water that day or the particular colors on that particular fish. I don't know. It's yeah. Artists are weird people, I know. But this but, all <laughs> seems like it flows through you versus yeah. someone saying, I want you to paint this picture that I took and it's yeah, what I want. Yeah, I, I seldom I, – I will do commissions because – Obviously, I got to pay the bills. Sure, you know, yeah. But but same time the, um, and I probably just ruined my commission sales here. But <laughs> I, 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 I think all most artists would agree with that. that yeah, it's just different. I agree. You it. bet. There's if it if it's a passion and something that, um, and I'm working on two or three commissions now, and 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 again, they're working out well because there's subject matters that mm-hmm. uh, I can identify with, and and the more I talk with the person and. And all it kind of builds up um, that passion in there to to do good work on yeah. it. So and you yeah. can add, I think too, you can add your own flavor, your own influence sure. based on your own experience. Oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. I think that's how, like, 
as an artist who's a fly fisherman, or like you said, the other way, you're a fly yeah. fisherman who's an artist, you get to see things from a completely different perspective. Whereas someone who's an artist who didn't grow up in the outdoors, they may come to the buffalo and see, right. wow, look at these bluffs, look at this right. river, look at the scenery. But they may not see it from the same perspective and mm-hmm. get to capture every little detail. Like I, I, I think, again, you paint best what you know and uh, what you have a passion for. And, and, and uh, that's, that's what comes out of me. Yeah, you uh, you pointed us earlier to yeah. the watercolor overlooking the hill to yeah. the the turkey the turkey spot you hunted with the old farm and right. as you were explaining that I was thinking through how cool is that 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 is it, it could be photography right it could be that you bring a camera and you take a picture sure. of a spot but instead you're capturing the the true form and the memory and the experience and the feeling mm-hmm. of what's happening in the art. So it's, it's actually looking at it through the artist's eyes so much more valuable. It's, it's, it's an not, interpretation of, yeah, of it, you know, it's, it, it's uh, obviously a literal would be to take a photo of it sure. and all. But And I do a, a fair amount of uh, plein air painting where I actually mm-hmm. go and set up there at the spot. And that's the purest form of of capturing the light in that moment. Right. Um, uh, it's um, It takes... Um, a lot of discipline to do, and and I go through stages where I plain air paint a lot, and then I'll come back into the studio and all that. But but again, my best paintings. See, I live thirty seven miles from here. Okay, oh, really? so I, I make a pretty good drive, and and a lot of times I purposely take the old river road, um, which takes a good ten minutes longer. Yeah. But I'm you know I'm scouting turkeys, or I'm just looking at the <laughs> bluffs and the water and everything, and. I'm so full of ideas and inspiration by the time I get here. And it's like I can't wait to bust through the door to grab a canvas and start painting. And a lot of times I'll come in early before we open all just to get something started. Yeah. And I'm just almost trembling with excitement to capture. <laughs> but if, so I, cool. if I wait a day or two, mm-hmm. it's gone. Yeah. You know, I, so I've got to be immediate in my response to get my best work out. Gotcha. And, um, and that takes a little juggling. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, I have a very strong work ethic, uh, I remember in college, uh, the um, professor one time, there was, it's come time for our senior review and a senior show, and you had to have so many paintings submitted, and a lot of people would procrastinate and wait and paint them all like, and, and they would just get bad marks and from the yeah. professors and yeah. stuff. And so he was bragging on myself, and there's another gentleman, an older student, who had uh, come back to get his degree, and he had like three kids and everything. And, and I was um, my senior year, and there's a few of us that, had some good work and the professors were really bragging on us and they were using us examples some of the other students i think kind of to shame them a little bit they (laughs) they said so he said so what inspires you because he said a lot of these students are giving excuses like well i'm just not inspired and this older student he says every morning i wake up and i sit there at that breakfast table and look at those three hungry children and my wife and i said he says i'm inspired he said said, i just laughed at that that was you know he he said i i gotta get out and get something Mm -hmm. done right yeah it's not necessarily the artist answer but it's reality (laughs) so i'll never forget that i thought that was funny they they laughed at it so that would be some inspiration anyway but yeah but uh but again um being in touch with um a subject matter that fuels that energy is is the secret. If there is, it's what drives it. You know, if mm-hmm. I if I was to nothing against dog painters, but if I, you know, I'd be like, oh boy, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I get people come in all the time. Like, would you paint portraits of my grandkids? And I'm like, I'm sure they're lovely and wonderful, but no, yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you know your grandkids very close. And if I get one eyelash off, you know, you're gonna know it. I won't know it, and and I don't know your grandkids, so yeah. you know, I I I could probably technically do a pretty good representation of them, but it would have no 
passion or feeling mm-hmm. in it, you know, yeah. um, because it's it's um, it's it's what what makes good art, um, you know, separate from just technical art. Yeah, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, anyway. that does make sense. Try to, just, I mean, try look, to capture your soul in in the moment in there if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, looking around at all the art, I <clears throat> from the untrained eye, even I mean, I get I get the feeling. I get yeah. I get the sense of the inspiration. Good. That, and I'm a I'm a person who also operates out of like if I'm going to do it I want to do it because I really care about it. Yeah. If yeah. I'm not probably not going to do it if I don't care about it. Yeah. And so exactly. I, I I can see it in in the paintings and it's yeah. It's well, what I think separates it from a, just that's a huge compliment. The the um uh and and I and I don't want to downplay people's ignorance towards art, but people come in like, oh, that looks just like a photograph. And I'm like, that's the worst compliment you can <laughs> give to an artist, you yeah. know. And, and, and I, I know what they're saying, that you captured the details and everything in there very well, but but if it if it didn't capture the feeling and the mm-hmm. the mood and 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 all that then then yeah you might as well just take a photograph right you know, so. yeah that's true but anyway I'll, I'll ask you a question yeah. um, on the flip side of kind of what we just talked about obviously um, your passions as a fly fisherman influence your art how does the way that you create art and being an artist influence the way that you fish and you pursue mm. like wildlife and the mm. landscape and fly fishing and, and does it affect that. Well, that's probably why I choose fly fishing over other methods because there is a great aesthetic, um, but it also makes you, an, you have to be an observant. To be a successful fly fisher, you have to be part of the stream. You have to be part of the environment. Um, I boat fish some by necessity, but my preference is to get, you know, knee deep into the water and stalk fish, okay? Mm-hmm. And I love clear water. I love to sight fish. I love to read a fish, uh, whether it's a rising brown trout sipping little, you know, stoneflies or something off the surface or usually they don't sip them, they smash them on the yeah. stoneflies. But anyway, you get the idea there. Mm-hmm. I kind of figure out what the fish is doing and then you become that, um, you're, you're just another arm of the nature role there of uh, the predator, but you're doing it not necessarily to eat that fish, but to fool him and all. So it's, it's a thinking man's game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, nothing against somebody that wants to throw a, a lure or whatever, but I mean, that crankbait has a certain built-in action, and all you're doing is winding the reel, right, okay? Sure. Uh, I've got a friend, I pick on him a lot because he likes to spin fish, and we fish together, and he usually kicks my butt. He's yeah. very good at it. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, when are, how long are you going to stay in the third grade? You know, is what I say. I'm like, when are you going to advance, you know? And, and then he holds up a 20-inch smallmouth, like, when are you going to catch one of these? Yeah, you know, like, so, okay, touche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but there's a, I think we fish for different reasons, Um you know, I've caught a lot of fish. I've been very successful with it. Uh, so I'm beyond just going out and spanking numbers of stalkers and that type of thing. So um, I think you evolve, and fly fishing lets you evolve even more so mentally. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it it compasses everything about your mm-hmm. uh, why you fish. Mm-hmm. Okay, because you can't be out there and not be uh, observant of the water and the hatch that's coming off or or um, spotting fish, or reading the mm-hmm. water, all of those elements are stronger in fly fishing than other methods. Yeah. Okay, and I know we get kind of picked on and touted as elitists in this, and I'm like, you know, I, you can't come from a poorer background than I did. Mm-hmm. And I got a fly rod when I was nine years old, yeah. okay? Sacrificed my mom and dad to probably spend a total of 20 bucks to get it, but for them back then, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. But and I and I get kids into it all the time, you know, and, and I give them used rods or we'll go to 
everywhere, you know, you can, I mean, Cortland Company makes a pretty darn good fly rod nowadays that you can buy at Walmart, and, yeah. it, and it, it will do the job, you know. Yeah. And so there's no reason, you know, this elitist, uh, you know, sure, just like with shotguns or anything, you can go spend the bank, you know, yeah. and, and, but it's not going to make you a better shot, no. and, and the fly rod's not going to make you a better fisher if you don't have control of it. Uh, master your cast and, and learn how to read water, how to be a fish head, you know. And, I mean, you get around, you uh, guys, I can tell, you know, you, you know fish. And, and being around and fishing with somebody who has those kind of skills is watching something beautiful take place, mm-hmm. you know, on, on how they read the water. It's like almost their magic. They can go and find fish. You know, not that we're always, people ask me, are there ever days you get skunk? Well, sure. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. few and far between. Not trying to sound ego or whatever, because... I pick when I go. I know where I'm going. I know how to fish. I know how to find fish. And I'm successful at it because I want to be successful. It's, to me, fishing is not a passive thing of like, oh, well, i got to bring my lawn chair, my cooler, and throw my feet up. <laughs> for some people, and if that's okay, that's okay. Right. But yeah. for us that pursue fly fishing, it's it's much more that we're part of the entire total mm-hmm. role. And so I think the satisfaction level I get, you know, I've been with people that have caught um, I can remember um, floating, and again, I sound like I'm name dropping, but he's just an amazing mentor in my life, is Dave Whitlock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he came over and we floated Crooked Creek one day. He needed to get some photos for a magazine of hopefully some good size smallmouth, but we were, he was working on a carp issue. And I do a lot of carp fly fishing, he does too. And we'd think Dave Whitlock and Dwayne Hayda could catch some carp. You would think. Oh, we got our butts handed to us. I mean, <laughs> Did you really? we, we could not, uh, you know. And so about two thirds of the way through the day, he's like, let's just give up on these carp. Well, he brought a little brand new, I think it was one of the new ot weights made back then, and okay. tied on a little red fox squirrel nymph and started catching six-inch long long ears the rest of the day and giggling like a little school kid, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, here you are, an 80-year-old man, and yeah. I saw the passion. Mm-hmm, See, right. he's an artist too. He gets yeah. it. And, yeah. uh, and I saw the passion in him of every long ear he would look at and marvel at the colors and the fighting ability. I'm like... I mean, I it, it just totally like blew me away because yeah. it g- gave me like I want to be that at eighty something years mm-hmm, old right. where the passion is still strong and the I never grow old. Of, I call long ears the brook trout of the southern waters. You know, yeah. they're kind of like that. They I, eat everything. Well, and they're beautiful. You know, I mean, in every stream I'm learning this as I become more observant. Every watershed will have a certain color pattern. Uh, in their long ears. Okay. Tell me if I'm wrong. You you go fish a Spring Creek in Oklahoma versus one of the Washtaws versus there, and take pictures of them and look at them and lay them out. Um, they all have their own mm-hmm. identifying uh, same species and mm-hmm. all of the long ear sunfish, but just the watershed and whatever uh, they're unique. And, yeah. And that's beautiful. And yeah. most people don't even get it. They're like, ah, oh, it's a little trashy perch. They call them. I love to mess with Texans. You know, I said, you all don't have perch. Oh, we got. You know, like we. Are, you know, like no, you don't have perch. You yeah. have a species of sunfish. You know, either bluegills or long ears or green sunfish. You know, right? And like, no, we're perch, perch, man. What are you talking about? You're uh, anyway, you're well. you're speaking to you're putting language to something that Kyle and I talk about all the time. And all I, the I don't. Time, we man. haven't either lived the life or have the maturity yet to put perfect language to it yet. But just the you're getting there. The aesthetic, the total. I mean, you're totally in a different world if you're in the sure. river, in the woods, which oh, yeah. is even why we've gone. We're fly fishing or bow hunting. And yeah, we can. Oh, yeah. Maybe catch more or shoot bigger deer, whatever sure. may be the other method. But sure. it's something about being completely given over to the chase yeah. and completely yeah. uh, just kind of 
engulfed in what you're trying to do. And that's, I mean, that's why I love coming over here and being on the bank or being in a boat floating sure, down the river sure. and you're just, you're in all of it. And it's every step of the way from rigging the rod to pulling in that first fish sure. you catch. It's just, sure. it's beautiful. It's magic. I, I, um, it's yeah, fun. It is. Yeah. And I, I want to say too, just thinking about like, it's a two and a half hour drive over here, but I'd do it every weekend just to <laughs> just to come try to figure out this river. And, and we talk about fish the whole way up. The whole oh, way. Yeah, the whole and way it's back. so dynamic <laughs> and there's so many things you can learn and you can come out one day and you get skunked and it doesn't discourage you. It actually makes you want to figure out sure. what you could have done. Sure. And, sure. and just to like, even as we pulled up and you came outside and we were talking to you, I could tell right away, obviously I know you're um, a fly fishing expert you, you know you've been doing it for a long time Still learning <laughs> but just the way that you talked about you know skipping the caddis across and yeah. and the way you you line up and you capture the whole life cycle of the caddis yeah. in the way you present your flies and you do the droppers and i mean i can tell just from talking to you in the first five seconds talking to you you're a fishy guy like and i was <laughs> listening to uh um, a podcast actually of uh, Chad Johnson oh, yeah. on another podcast, and he was talking about Dave Whitlock, and yeah. he was like, "Man, Dave Whitlock is a fishy dude." And yeah, so he, we owe such a you know I, that's my thing with the younger generation of fly fishers. That man, uh, our sport, uh, my goodness, we would be in the dark ages. Literally every technique, every fly pattern, not just him, but mostly him. Okay, mm-hmm. um, the influence, the strength, the uh, the um, uh, knowledge, the genius. I mean, mm-hmm. you, yeah, you, it really uh, is. I watch him draw, and the man, his line work is perfect. You know, it just flows, and that, and that just can't happen uh, without something uh, deep within that. Yeah, absolutely. We need a pause. No, no, he's one of my volunteers anyway. And, ah. uh, so, got somebody, somebody yeah. coming in, somebody yeah. coming in. I, uh, I, I guided for a year at a kind of a private stream in Oklahoma and uh the guy who who owned it he was mentored by Lefty Cray for a oh, while yeah. you mentioned him a yeah. little bit he was one of his like he was in his wedding uh-huh. um kind of oh, thing wow. they were Very you know cool. he was the old guy in the wedding but he's still yeah. in the wedding they yeah. were really close and um similar story mentor that kind yeah. of thing and is that um, on Spavanaugh Creek it is I know I've um, uh, Spring Valley um Bonner the old original Carl Bonner mm-hmm. one yeah see uh, he he interviewed my wife and I. We were going to move up there and mm-hmm. do that way back in the day before the other group I guess you were with had that. Yeah. I, I fished that. See, Dave Whitlock did original brown trout plantings in there. A lot of people yep. don't know that. And it was successful. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't get any management on it, you know. And um, But uh, that's a beautiful piece of water. It is. <laughs> and my, my parting gift from, from them from that year was yeah. it a, as a Dave Whitlock original. Oh so I, ha- I have that. And <laughs> you kept... Talking about him, I don't, I don't know his name super well, but yeah. I'm like, I know I have a, yeah. I know yeah, I have right. a drawing of his uh, in my house. That's, it's, that's, that's way cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so he's one of your, your oh, mentors, definitely. And definitely. and we can kind of talk a little bit too about mentorship, because I know, you, obviously, you've had mentors, but also you mentor a lot of people too with sure. the programs you're in. But you were also the coach of the U.S. Uh, youth fly fishing. You know, team. I got a chance to do that. Uh, uh, the adults have had a, a team back then in that day for a fair number of years they've never done well in world competition um there's reason for it i think the main one most countries their um their fly fishing teams are literally the six best qualified men to form that team and it's a huge pride it's kind of like fishing the bassmasters classic here okay you have to win on this round and this round and this round so when you get down to their final six team members they are literally the best six you're the real deal here in the u.s uh 
not trying to pick on them, but back then it was like, oh, you are president of such and such a company and you donated X number of dollars. Mm-hmm. You can be on the team. Be on, okay. okay, well, that's not necessarily meaning you're the best fly fisher. And, right. and so it's, over in those countries, you know, they are super competitive and they fish for pride of country yeah. and for their flag. And all here we're just like, it's a good time. It's and, fun. And I'm, you know, and, and we're not... Fly fishing is not the competitive sport here like it is in the European countries. Sure, yeah. So when they asked me uh, if I would, because I, I think no one really wanted to, to do it, and I'm like, well, this sounds interesting. They said, well, don't get your hopes up. I said, the the, 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 the adult team's never done very well, and, you know, just don't embarrass us and blah, blah. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to win this thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, I like, and they're like, yeah, right. And I'm like, I said, you go raise the money. Let me work on finding the team mm-hmm. and let me and they agreed to do that so i worked with john wilson who's with the Cortland line company back then and uh and davy watton had just moved to the united states okay yeah yeah. and the first year the host <clears throat> country was the country of wales and i'm like dave whitlock said you get davy watton yeah. he knows and i'm like okay so that's where i met davy and we developed our um you know i get a lot of credit on this and 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 i did a great job with it but i had good people obviously mm-hmm. davy Watton being one of the main ones there um, to help teach us the European technique. Mm Because, you know, you think, well, I'll just go over and throw an olive woolly booger and just spank them. Uh, Good luck. Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's amazing how different waters and different places, there's a home technique that is dialed into that that works. And if you're not dialed into it, you can go fishless. Um, So, anyway, we did a lot of that. Um, But I went around the country and to try to find, seriously, the six best young men in that uh, 14 to 17 year age group that were grew up fishing uh, sons of guides and that type of thing yeah. that had a passion for it that were known in their community as this guy is fishy yeah and I found those boys and we started putting and then Dave Whitlock developed uh, he came over here and worked with our team and just getting their skill levels up and then uh, of all things I hand wrote a uh, I did a handwritten letter to, uh, of all people, Ted Turner, oh. um, saying, hey, the, Ver- the Vermejo Ranch yeah. would be an excellent place for us to come and um, and uh, practice on. Would you be interested in hosting the U.S. team? And, and he, through his uh, land manager and all, um, uh, David Vactor, uh, anyway, wrote me back and everything and said, we would love to have you and we'll host you for two free weeks and all expense and everything. And so wow. <laughs> I got, you know, here's the... <laughs> You talk about amazing stuff, you know, to yeah. go out and stay at the Vermejo Ranch. But they have these big windswept lakes up there on the high mountains, which were very much like the lakes that we would be fishing over mm. in uh, Wales. So we got to practice on those. And gotcha. Then there were other people in Colorado that uh, hosted us for stream fishing and all, where we learned the technique, check nymph technique, which back then here in the United States, nobody was doing that. We learned that and mastered that for fishing over there. Yeah. Um, so we go over there, but my uh, Ben Levin, you know him, yep. okay, he was one of my teammates that, that we, I picked. I found a young um, Native American guy, um, uh, Norman Mactaima. Uh, okay. He's a Hopi Indian. Yeah. This guy, he runs a real, I think it's real life outfitters now in Santa Fe. Okay. Uh, guides out there. Um, uh, just... Uh, all these boys are very successful now, still in the fly fishing industry, uh, running guide services and, uh, and all this kind of thing. It's amazing. But I got to coach those guys and be with them and watch them develop. But here's the thing. 
I got it in their heads that they could win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I set that standard. I like guys. I said, I have no idea what we're going up against, but you know, and we got over we're there. Go try to win this. You thing. betcha. Norman was the individual gold medalist. His individual score was higher than both of the two Canadian teams' totals. Wow. That's how on fire he was. Oh, my gosh. Um, what is the scoring? I, I don't know. The scoring is based on the you, – you have to catch a certain size fish for it to actually measure okay. to qualify. Okay. Then if it's over a certain size, you get bonus points. So I, as a coach, I could be out in the water, like on the stream. Yeah. They caught a fish. I had a measuring tube. And then I had one of their, it's kind of like a golf tournament. They divide the stream up into beats. You have flags. Mm-hmm. And when they say you can start, you have a 45-minute fishing session between flag A and flag B, and or flag one and two, okay? And the stream's divided into equal number of sections, all the same. So you rotate so everybody fishes the same spot of the stream the same amount of time. Okay. So yeah. it's not like, well, he had a better spot than I did. Right. So you rotate, and then you have a 15-minute break between each one. Um, then the bank is like at a golf tournament. I mean, it was like watching Tiger Woods, you know, at his first. Uh, they were all swarmed. You talk about being nervous because Norman was so spot on. on I mean, they weren't watching anybody. I look behind me, and there's this galley of photographers and people from the press taking notes and everything. And <laughs> like, so Norman, funny. don't look. Just fish, buddy. <laughs> just fish. <You> know? Keep <laughs> looking straight ahead. He was fishing that caddis dropper rig I was talking about. Yeah. Twice in the tournament, he caught doubles and landed the doubles. Oh, my goodness. You know, and, that, and for, to keep two browns on that are good size yeah. at the same time and get them under the net. And my job out there was I had to slide them into this tube so that the score master could come, and he had to wait out there, and they're all about keeping the fish alive and mm-hmm. healthy right. and all. And so he had to come out, and I'd press the fin down to get it as long as I could get yeah, it. Sure. You know, step on him, but no. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. and, the and so he would, boy, yeah, you came out there. <laughs> we got all my tricks, you know, jerking their vertebrae. And, no. yeah. Anyway, so he'd come out, and, and right down, we'd both agree, like it's so many centimeters mm-hmm. and everything, and he'd mark it on the scorecard, and then we'd turn the fish loose, and Norman would go back out and... You know, and then um, so we were um, uh, we were ahead at the, and everybody was blown away. They're like the American team. Oh no, that can't be. You know, and because the they had never done well in in world competition before, and so the second day was uh, we have a lake day, and then you have a river day of competition. Okay, cool. And the Czech Republic were in number two, and they came through and beat us by just a little bit. Mm. But that's no disgrace. Those Czech. Uh, kids are are they're rough and tough really? i um and they're fishermen mm-hmm. and uh they have that they d- invented the check nymph right. technique and they they just came alive on on that last day and rallied around and beat us and their adult team always wins poland and the czech are, are two uh strong strong teams and that was on the lake the second day uh we were on the lake and they were on the river okay okay, okay. and the lake was not necessarily our strongest yeah uh, but we we did well anyway but we got narrowed out for the the gold medal. We we got got the silver, and at the awards banquet, which you, can you imagine, eighteen different countries. That's okay, so it was it was the Olympics. Okay, yeah. and we were all gathered around, and we um, had the big banquet. And I'm sitting next to the coach at the uh, awards deal, 
And in his broken English, I, I was congratulating everything. And I said, you guys have always been good. And I said, you came back and, and deservedly, you, you wanted it and you beat us. And I said, what makes you guys consistently so good? And he, without hesitation, he looked at me and goes, in our country, we fish for food. <laughs> like, that would make a difference. That makes a difference. <laughs> that make you a lot better English. <laughs> but those kids from the Czech Republic, I mean, they would have fly rods. Literally one boy, that was one of their star anglers, had a rod that was two different colors. Obviously, two broken sections put together and had oh. duct tape in the middle of it. Waiters with patches all over them, you know. Uh, people that, you know, they had to raise money and mm-hmm. get help to even be there. Yeah. And I told my boys, because we were just spoiled rotten. I mean, we would have our Orvis day. I'm like, okay, today we have to represent Orvis. So everybody wear your Orvis stuff. You're Tomorrow all it's all Columbia, you know. And I mean, mm-hmm. we were just lavished, you know, like, you want to use your sage rod or your Orvis rod or your Winston rod, yeah. you know. <laughs> so I said, look, you guys keep what you want as mementos and, and prizes because you deserved it. Yeah. But I said, you look at who beat us and what they beat us with. And I said, what an awesome deal. Go over there. They'll never get a sage rod. And I mean, <laughs> the world was at peace. Uh, yeah. You know, at that moment. Mm-hmm. There. I mean, those kids, I mean, giving them stuff like that and, and they were trade the uh, pins, you know, country flags and, Gosh. you know, I mean, it was just, it that was amazing. So I mean, I get kind of emotional about it because it was, it was just yeah. a, a beautiful um, celebration of, the cultures and the world and the fly fishing and 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 our boys were glad to give them stuff and yeah. and and I still correspond with some of the team members and coaches from Wales and from Ireland and and uh, Czech Republic you know and and uh, just like we'll mm-hmm. never forget that wasn't that a beautiful event one of a great time and everything and, yeah and it was just you know and they've still they've still go on with the program and there's I don't know who's doing it today okay um I know we are much more competitive now than we have been the adult team finally got their act together and I yeah. think they're pretty pretty savvy uh, team to, to deal with anyway and and all and but you know competitive fly fishing is kind of an ugly word here in the states uh compared to what it is over there but most of their quality is Davey Watton tells me they would not have quality fishing if it wasn't for the competitions and the clubs because they are the stewards and the managers of their home waters. Gotcha. Okay, so that that's sense. what creates their good fishing. Okay. And it's a pay-to-play thing. It's, uh, I remember on the airplane over there and had all the boys and this lady from, uh, she was from England anyway, and she said, these boys are fly fishers? And I said, yeah. She goes, in our country, only the very wealthiest you know, and, and very, the lords and, you know. And, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the you know, and she, Yeah, and she was like, you know, she was impressed, but also like, how can they manage? Yeah. And I like, and I didn't understand until I got over there. But, you know, if you want to go fish a quality water, you pay a fee, a beat fee, and you go to a clubhouse and you check the books and with the river gilly, and he tells you, well, you can fish on this section today, and it'll cost you 40 wow. pounds or whatever. It was an average it's about... so different. It is different. It, so we're so blessed here to have, uh, you know, quality public waters, you mm-hmm. know, and, and all that kind of thing. But um, they have good fishing over there, but it's, it's totally different. It's like playing golf here. You know, you right. go to a golf course, you got to pay the green fees and, and see what's available and open and all that kind of thing. And, be, and you can be a member of the club, and then you get special... Uh, dates and privileges and certain sections of water only for club members and that kind of thing. So right. it's different, definitely. Yeah. Now, their big common fishing over there is coarse fishing, you know, fishing for carp and roach, which is brim, Yeah. Uh, right. a totally different big guppy-looking minnow thing. Yeah. That they And they have tournaments, you know, and they they're you talk about they're so technical in catching carp over there. They say you can't even put the bait on the hook now because the carp can smell it. They they run a like a almost like a horsehair thread like two pound test 
and needle thread the baits up on that and then leave a floating hook. They say, if you put the bait in the hook, uh, they'll refuse it. And I'm like, oh. it, it's gotten, I mean, it's crazy. They put little timers and bells on their rods. and little So they're hookers. actually putting the bait up on the line yes. to have a floating hook? Yeah, yeah. so when he sucks it through. Wow. Yeah, th- those guys, you talk about, you know, they, and they are so technical about it yeah. and all, you know, and, and they have big course fishing tournaments. It was fun to watch anyway. Man. Yeah. That is so cool. It, it, it's different, you know. That's an interesting, the whole experience, though, of getting to go over to Wales oh, and, yeah. and even the With moment. Ireland and the next year, anyway. Oh, okay. So you did it two years? Uh-huh, I did. Okay, uh-huh. gotcha. Yeah, yeah, man, that just sounds so cool to... It was. And to think about, too, like, a guy from, you know, a small town in Arkansas getting to travel <laughs> all over the world to do these things and, you know, talk with that people. That old blue fly rod took me a lot of money. <laughs> it took you a long way, man. We actually did a, um, a fun thing the other day. We we bought a little $40 Ozark Trail fly rod from Walmart yeah. just to kind of prove the point that you don't have, doesn't yes. have to be an elitist yes. thing. You yes. can go catch, we caught a bunch of sunfish. And oh, yeah. Bluegill. And sure. It's just a good time. You bet it is. I, I uh, again, you know, I can't. Most people, once they experience fly fishing and have a good experience, it's it's just second. I know, uh, I don't know. You're suddenly fishing for a different reason, mm-hmm. you know, and a different purpose. I tell people I'm 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 really not fishing for food anymore. I seldom har- not I'm not against harvesting a fish to eat if it's the right kind of fish, right circumstance, and all that. Right. I think that's your right, and I think you should do that. I I I kind of question somebody who's never taken a fish and knows how to clean it, prepare it, make an excellent meal to honor that fish out of mm-hmm. okay that's yeah. that's part of the game but i choose to catch and release from a conservation standpoint but also um it's just part of the of the catch and release fly fishing ethic and and all that 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 keeps good numbers and all that kind of thing out there um but having said all that um there is so much more i think in the experience of fly fishing that you do not get in in other types of fishing and, and i know it it uh I just I tell people you know at least try it learn learn something new mm-hmm. you know learn something new that's what's exciting in life to me is and that's why fly fishing never gets old to me is because there's always you think you're good there's another species there's another water there's another technique there's another level of it um, you can never say I've mastered it you're, you're just growing mm-hmm. you're, you're going into that next level I I've um, uh, tarpon fishing uh, I, I, I got to take my son-in-law. Uh, here this last year on his first tarpon trip and just watch him uh, excel at it, you know, and it, from never having caught a saltwater fish to literally catching and, and just watching him and making graceful casts and working the fish and jumping a fish, losing a fish, you know, yeah. which you're going to lose a lot of tarpon. Yeah. But, but his hook up to landing ratio was the highest of the group and I because he's a real fishy person, you know. Yeah. And to watch him carry on and then to my grandgirls, you know, to see them just in the fishing, that's that's the passing it on. That's the mm-hmm. legacy that you want to leave as a, as a fisherman and as an outdoorsman and as a conservationist because um, we, we've got, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's of most importance. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You bet. Um, you talked, you talked about, um, always something, learning something new, always being able to learn a new species or new water. Yeah. Um, and it made me think of you a couple of years ago. I don't know when it was the Master Anglers Award that you were awarded for catching every qualifying fish on fly tackle. It's, it's been a while back. What um, was that? That was Greg Patterson uh, with the Game and Fish Commission. The Game and Fish started the Master Angler Award, okay. and they made a list of certain weights that a fish has to uh, be minimum in order to qualify for that. Well, I had um, I had caught a twelve pound something brown trout. Um, on a fly rod, and then I caught my 
that time my personal best largemouth of nine pound three ounce anyway largemouth and um then i caught a, a three pound eight ounce smallmouth anyway out of the washita river and i um greg patterson was writing a lot for the game of fish magazine he said man those all qualify for master angler fish and i'm like well what's that you know yeah and he said well for most people it's like a fish of the lifetime and he says you caught three of them in this uh <laughs> You know, like in a month or two, and I'm yeah. like, well, we, yeah, I don't know. Again, I, sound, I, I know it sounds ego and all, but I'm like, yeah, uh, you know. And he's like, he said, I got to do a story. Yeah, he said, how many more do you think you could catch? Like, in a, and I'm like, okay, and, I, and so I looked at the list, and I, you know, some of them are, you know, I knew the striper uh, just because of my proximity to good striper fishing, and and some of them are are more easier to catch it seems like the the size ratio to the species and all is is um more doable just okay. more of an average so, yeah average so fish. i yeah. i picked out i think it was um i think 10 of those fish and he said i'm going to do a story in november do you think you can have all those fish caught by november and he said they have to be deadline they have to be legit you know and 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 i you know and I'm, i didn't want to do it if it wasn't legit you yeah. know and uh, so witnesses and photos and links and measurements and everything. And so I took on the challenge and I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I caught all of them on a fly rod, you know, which, again, just blew everybody away. And Nobody like, had well, done. That's, that's how I fish, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my method. Uh, I could have caught them on a spinning rod, I guess. I could have caught them on a bait caster or whatever. Yeah. Uh, jug lines. Uh, that didn't qualify. Okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so they were all legitimate, you know. But, it, but I targeted. That was a fun thing to do. And I targeted each one. And he got a great story out of it. And I kind of launched the master regular program through his article, you know, and it made me look real good as a fisherman and all. But um, to guys who are active fishermen, you know, and all and, and set goals towards that, I mean, it's a, it's a doable thing. I yeah. just made it a goal and we went after it, you know. And um, so we, I've gotten a lot of notoriety and press out of it, I guess, and everything. Yeah. And, and it, it is cool. quite an accomplishment. No, so I'm, t- I'm not is. trying to downplay it, yeah. but, but I just set my mind that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. And and, and uh, I remember catching the gar. Uh, that was uh, one of the last ones anyway. I mean, he was a huge gar, and that thing jumped like a tarpon. <laughs> like, oh, my God. So, cool. And I'd lost two before that, you know, and I'm like, I'll never land one of these rats because they're hard, you know, unless you rig specifically for gar. Yeah. And I just happened to be on a float trip smallmouth fishing, so I didn't have a lot of my normal gar stuff, and I ran into a pod of really big gar, and, uh, you know, they, they'll – clip off a clouser quicker than anything if you hook them wrong. Did you have a steel leader or anything? I did not, did okay. not. You know, so I, I got lucky and got the one. I mean, he, there's a lot of fly exposed, but a lot of times they'll roll on it and they'll get that line up over the... Break it. Yeah, and they'll break it. And, you know, that whole mouth is just nothing but a saw blade, you know. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, one nick and it's gone. But yeah. anyway, I got lucky. Yeah. And uh, he, was, he was a monster. But, that is cool. Uh, yeah. That is cool. Um, one one other thing that I wanted to mention, and I can't believe I didn't mention it at the beginning, but you're actually getting inducted into the Arkansas Game and Fish Hall of Fame in this upcoming August. Is that right? That's what they tell me. And uh, what did they tell you for? What was that like? Or what did they tell you? I, why? I, I was a little bit in disbelief. They they actually showed up here at the gallery. The commissioner uh, uh, Rob Finley and and had an official letter and all that. And um, you know, I've gone to their event and and done artwork for them. I. My, that's another thing about my artwork. It's I feel like if I'm blessed with doing it, then that's something I can give. I uh, totaled up one time for tax purposes the amount of 
giving, you know, to conservation groups and everything. And 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 I like that. If if people value original art, I hate to give an original and it goes for the price of the frame. You know, I'm right? Like, yeah. You know, this is worth. It. I'll buy it back and sell it out the gallery. <laughs> yeah. you know? But but um, but it's it's you know, as your name gets known, and everything. I've raised some some good serious money and everything. Uh, through it, but anyway, he came in here and did all this uh, proclamation and decree and official and everything, and actually uh, showed up at my church and and uh, did a a, um, a whole huge thing there, which I thought was way cool and everything. But um, anyway, uh, yes, humbled. Um, I thought you had to be eighty years old and and have donated you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, <laughs> to the, you know, and 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 I think you know it's I've I've accomplished a lot in the outdoors. Absolutely. I I think. I say that I. Uh, it's okay to say I, you know. I, well, I think more than anything, what probably caught their attention is my volunteer hours with youth. Okay, that is a big buzzword. In in are are you giving back? Mm-hmm. You know, are you getting the next generation? If we don't get the next generation off the couch and off the Game Boys and off the phones and out in the woods, we've lost a lot. Mm-hmm. We, we you know we may be out of business yeah. um, from a game fish standpoint from a hunting and fishing industry standpoint, all those kind of things. So um, I think uh, they actually asked me at one time to be a part of that game and fish program, that uh, hunt natural to help, you know, and I was very interested in it. It was going to be a paid position with the game and fish, but that was the same time that this calling for the CTO, you know, here I am, okay, I'm going to do volunteer work, more hours than what I would get paid to do a program. Yeah. It didn't make sense, but in my heart it made perfect sense yeah. that I needed to do the CTO uh, program and so that's what won over for me and everything, mm-hmm. but they they understand that we and 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 I've been uh, man I, my wife and I just sat down and listed uh, the number of boys that have gone through our program and 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 we we we're just now getting these ones that came in at eleven and twelve years old and they're at the age where they're uh, marrying and they're in their you look at their lives and you see their their. They've got jobs, you know, and they're successful, and they're they they hunt and they fish, and they um, they understand conservation, and and we've done our job, you know, we've we've put another person out there in the ranks that's working with us, that gets it and understands it, and is a participant and a good human being, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, we're proud of him, and and that's and, and I'm like, everybody should be doing this, in my opinion, and and true conservationists are. So I think that probably caught a little bit of their. And then again, I've done my art, you know, a lot of the big nature center things, and and I don't ever say no. I mean, if people come and like, hey, we uh, need a donation for, you know, I've I've given original artwork to the fisheries uh, fundraising thing and for the fisheries division of Game of Fish and you know various things and and um, and we've worked in partnership a lot of times on various hunts and all. They're like, hey, we have a, a special hunt. And we don't have, you know, sometimes they'll they'll advertise a hunt and they won't get any kids to sign up no. or one or two. And they're like, they know they can call me and I can have 10 boys like that yeah. uh, show up and are good kids. And they're like, you know, uh, we like that program. And and not that they cater to us or anything. They just know that we've got serious boys who love the outdoors mm-hmm. and I've got a good program with good men that help me and, and, um, and uh you know, we're ready to roll. Yeah. You know, we can get it done. We yeah. we had a the first bow hunt we did. We had eighty eight percent with first time my boys on a bow hunt. They did as a management hunt. That that doesn't happen very. I mean, eighty eight percent what success rate? Oh really? Oh, you bet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not out of out of twelve boys, I think whatever 
whatever. I think nine or, yeah, nine <laughs> or ten of them harvested a deer, That's you know, impressive. with archery. One of them with uh, traditional, you know, isn't that pretty That's cool? That's cool. Even cooler. I play real Indian a lot. I've got, <laughs> we, here, one of the neat things we do real quick is I, um, we, we used to go over to Oklahoma. We're a friend of the Chickasaw Nation, and okay. I've got a, a great friend over there that is a Chickasaw Indian, and he builds um, bows, I mean, Osage bows, and naps his flint and everything, and he does a program for our boys. And we got to participate um, in the um, Five Civilized Tribes uh, cornstalk shoot, something they've been doing for hundreds of years in Oklahoma. The Five Civilized Tribes will gather for a powwow-type big homecoming, and the rules are you cannot shoot anything that you either didn't make or trade with somebody who made. Nothing store-bought. Mm. Now, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And these and here were men, women, and children lining up in this field shooting traditional bows at 100 yards at a about like a square bale of hay of corn stalks out there. And that's what they use as a target. Gotcha. And everybody's feathers are colored and marked on their arrow for identification. And so here's a rain of like... You know, a hundred arrows going through the air. I mean, it's cool. <laughs> Looks like all, one of those old war movies. Oh yeah, and I bet you probably eighty percent of them hit within five feet of that at a hundred yards. And I was like, well, Whoa. wonder we ever won any battles. Yeah. <laughs> and then they turn around, they shoot back a hundred yards, and so they divide it like the first half that scored the closest shoots, and then that half, and it's down to two guys standing shoulder to shoulder. And when they shot at a hundred yards, their fletchings touched. At a hundred yards, whoa! No sights, just a, a bare bow with arrows they had made, and I'm like, wow! These guys Dude. hunt hunt that way, and they mm-hmm. make fun. You know, they, I show up with a compound bow, and they're like, well, we don't have training wheels on our bows, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you, you white man. Yeah. So anyway, I had them build me a, a bow arc Osage uh, bow and arrows and everything, and I said, I will. I shot two deer that year with it. Did you really? And I mean, that was a, I mean, that war hoop is still out there near somewhere. I mean, <laughs> they were little yearlings, okay, about 65 pounds. I don't care. I mean, they were you awesome. Did it, yeah. it was like a Boone and Crockett to me. I mean, I shot them off the ground from a kneeling position. Off the uh, ground? Uh, yes. So cool. I mean, that was, and it wasn't easy. I mean, these were, uh, you know, true fair chase. Uh, but I, I set that goal, like, I am going to harvest a deer with this bow you know and i'd like to shoot a nice buck someday with it and i yeah. will um and i practice up i've uh my instinctive shooting skills have gotten better i may want to attempt to take another arkansas bear at some point you know with the i think i don't know it's just it's kind of like fly fishing the the greater the challenge the the greater the reward you know? yeah the, the the you feel like you really accomplished something mm-hmm. you know so right. yeah anyway. well i'm sure that you will achieve that it sounds like when you put your mind to a goal you usually <laughs> knock it off the list so I think that's awesome, and just want to again say congratulations on Thank the you. induction into the the. I'm looking Game forward to it. I, cool. I, I, um, it's 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 humbling, but I'm I'm in a great class of uh, people, and uh, uh, just to to know who has come before me in this and the legacy they've left to the this great state and the, the great waters and and conservation. Uh, I I just hope that you know I think you know I did a lot back in the 90s for smallmouth bass. I was part of the smallmouth bass task force with, uh, okay. and um, helped write the regulations that we have that exist today, which personally I don't think they went quite as far as, they, as I pushed for. Okay. I think a, a smallmouth bass uh, is a symbol in Arkansas, in the Washita's and the Ozarks where they're native of a true wild fish. Okay, we don't stock them for the most part. I mean, I know they have in some areas, but for the most part, when you catch a wild smallmouth bass, look around where you're at. You know, you're in a very beautiful scenic place. They symbolize the wilderness of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And um, 
they're an amazing game fish, and they require very strict elements to survive. You know, good clean water. They can't live in pollution. Has to be of a certain temperature. Has to be of a certain all these things. Okay. Right. And um, I think we need to elevate the status. They need to be taken off of the harvest list. I, I just there's plenty of fish we can harvest, and and we should as a management tool. Um, uh, stream smallmouth. Uh, I think we're they're getting better at it, but you know we've got a one eighteen inch limit in some areas. Uh, you know, and they say, well, the majority of people who can catch smallmouth do practice catch and release, but. Uh, locally here, there are guys that, you know, like we've always done it this way and we're always going to do it this way. Yeah. And, and they're not going to fill out your survey, okay? Right. You know, they're, they're not going to contribute to the, the uh, pool of information you're getting. So um, it only takes one or two guys fishing my home water holes, taking out stringers of fish to really upset the balance mm-hmm. and ruin. People don't realize smallmouth, how long it takes to grow a fish of the, you know, you catch a 20-inch stream Ozark smallmouth, you have caught a legend. You have caught a fish that is probably 15 years old minimum, okay? And people uh, don't, we need to preach that message more. Missouri does a a very good job of uh, educating their anglers, but um, they say it's still a problem up there too. But smallmouth bass in streams need to be elevated to a status of, um, it's kind of like maybe catching greenback Colorado cutthroats, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, like almost like an endangered species. Yeah, or an status. Appalachian southern brook trout. You know, this is a symbol very much of this particular watershed. You're here for the enjoyment experience of maybe catching one of these wonderful fish. This is not a food source, right. okay? Um, there's other things, you know. There's, there's no, so many there's, other fish. There is catch. no need to harvest those fish. And, yeah. and the requirements they have for survival are very small and um, they can easily be upset, you know, just from flooding to gravel mining issues to pollution to otters. You know, we're getting some huge issues with otters on our streams that, um, you know, otters are cute and cuddly, and they're, really they're not. They're not uh, uh, You tie an otter and a bobcat together, that otter's going to whip his butt every day. I mean, they are vicious animals. Yeah. When, when, uh, but in, uh, I'm all about otters in the right place, but too many of them and unregulated uh, damage is done. I've watched them. On the Buffalo River, literally just hole after hole, just, uh, you know, just uh, they're, they're good at it too. And they love to eat smallmouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just ate the suckers and the gar, I'd be okay with it. But yeah. if you start messing with my smallmouth, uh, we got some issues. <laughs> you get a little personal there. <laughs> yeah. I got gotcha. you. Well, Dwayne, I, yeah. I appreciate your time so much. You I bet. can't thank you enough for having us here to the gallery. And, um, man, just getting to see all your stuff and hearing you talk, it just, you know, your passion comes through your words and, and obviously through your art and stuff like that. So, That's been good. again, just wanted to say thank you so much. I, I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast because I think we could sit here and talk to you another three hours, honestly. <laughs> I've never been lack for the gift of gab. But yeah. <laughs> I, I even want to do one where it's let's just talk catching smallmouth. Yeah. yeah. Let's oh, yeah. just talk catching well, trout. Tactics. With all the years sure. of experience and sure. all the guys you've got. And, I mean, we, we would learn more from that. Honestly, than, uh, yeah. We anybody so who even care to listen to us. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we can't so. let the things that you've learned, like, go away from the world. Well, you know? there's, and, and I'm thrilled. I mean, there's the Keith Reeves uh, taking on the fly tying skills and uh, the smallmouth fishing. My son-in-law, uh, Tad Four, is, uh, you know, his passion for smallmouth is huge and his skill 
uh, Ben Levin is just, uh, he's like a son to me, you know. I mean, he started guiding with me when he was 14 years old. His dad managed to get him a hardship license so he could drive. <laughs> so he could to guide get the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? Yeah, you know? cool. And, and uh, you know, he is just an amazing uh, fish head, and uh, you, you don't want to fish behind him any day. Yeah. He's going to yeah. milk the water out ahead of you. <laughs> but I love seeing this younger generation. I, I guess if there's any um, tinge in my voice of I just want – I tell them stories of how Crooked Creek used to be. I used to drive up to an access. If I knew the three other guys that might fish that, if they were there, I just pulled out and went somewhere else. You know, I'm not going to follow them all day or, or try to cut them off or whatever. Now we've got huge parking lots and they're full and, you know, it's, it's, it's different. And it's sad because even though the resource is still there and we are trying to manage it well, we have been found out here in the Ozarks. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I know we can't pull up the, the gates and say no more people. Um, I'd like to say that uh, yeah. kind of in a way. Uh, I, but at the same time, if you're going to live here, get in with the rhythms of the Ozarks. You know, don't try to change it. Don't try to um, make it something it was never intended to be. But uh, appreciate what we have. The people that live here and make their livelihoods from the woods and waters care about this and and uh, respect that and respect those uh, things and and let's keep it good because. Um, that young generation deserves to, you know, I don't want to tell my granddaughter, we used to catch smallmouth out of this hole of water. Right. This used to be, you know, I wish you could have experienced this when, you know, I want that same quality to be there and it can only be there if we take care of it. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great place to end. Well, again, thank you. It's been an absolute privilege. Um, so for our audience, thank you guys for listening and tuning in. Let us know if you enjoyed the episode. And um, we'll, we'll keep trying to bring you great guests like Dwayne Hayden. Thanks. It's been fun. Thank you, guys. This podcast is hosted by Kyle V and produced by Daniel Matthews. To sponsor an episode or for general advertising inquiries, reach out to us at theozarkpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This podcast is presented by Inland Outdoors.